I keep saying it's like a cultish uh, environment uh, being around President Trump. So uh, I truly believed seeing different information that was handed to us at that time that uh, Joe Biden was doing something illegal. After analyzing all the evidence and sitting back and really, uh, what's it called, understanding what's going on, I don't, think, I don't think Vice President Biden did anything wrong. I think he was protecting our country and getting rid of probably a crooked attorney general. And guess what? Sometimes the best defense is the so what defense, which is if everything the Democrats said is true, it's still not impeachable. If everything Les Parnas has said is true, it's still not impeachable. I mean, th that's what this Great is point. about. Resolute desk. It's been there a long time. A lot of presidents. Some good, some not so good. But you got a good one now. Even though they're trying to impeach the son of a bitch. Can you believe it? Let's go beyond the stale and tired narratives. Let's use historical context and alternative perspectives to fully comprehend. Let's dig deeper to tackle the news and bring a little order to these chaotic times. That's what your hosts Jared Yates Sexton and Nick Houselman will do. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, Jerry Yates. Actually, I'm here with my co-host, Nick Hausman. Um, we, we usually go uh, once a week and talk about all the relevant things. Occasionally, we'll do an emergency podcast when there's breaking news and we have to talk about something. We're here on a Friday taping because so much has happened in the past few days uh, that we felt compelled to sit down and talk about it. Uh, we have had... Uh, Lev Parnas, uh, one of the uh, major players in the Ukrainian scandal, uh, go on MSNBC after a trove of documents came out uh, that showed Trump and the gang that couldn't shoot straight uh, carrying out an international conspiracy with treasonous underpinnings and oligarchical uh, organized crime parts to it. Uh, Julie, Rudy Giuliani has reared his ugly head once more, and also the Republicans have just gone full bore into admitting that there were impeachable treasonous crimes, and who cares? So that's where we are, Nick. Not not enough to talk about, but I assume we'll find a way. Sure. Well, you know, I, you know what I'm thinking about this is, it seems like Nostradamus was a real person, and his <laughs> name was William Shakespeare. Because this is basically Henry V, you know, or kind of mixed with uh, Macbeth. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but you wouldn't believe it if you created a, a script uh, for Hollywood of this because all these crazy characters and all the behavior. But, you know, the thing that you just mentioned at the end of that was really what the, what's key. No one is denying the facts, right? No one is disputing what ha actually happened. And that's when you understand what guilty people do. The Republicans and the way they're approaching this is what guilty people do. And you're right. Now that we hear their defense on Hannity and all these things is now going to be, yeah, he did it. So what? The, the president's allowed to do that. And this is the, that, this is the existential crisis that we, we exist in now. So I, I talk a lot uh, when I'm talking to students uh, about writing and, and life. I talk a lot about like the phenomenon of um, sort of becoming entranced by driving. So like, you know, a, a person can drive and get behind the wheel of a car. And if you drive for long enough, you sort of just get hypnotized by the road. 
and you sort of forget that you're driving and you can just sort of like look up all of a sudden hours have passed, right? And you're just weaving through traffic and you're doing all these things. And then there are these moments of um, existential terror where all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm driving this incredibly heavy piece of machinery and I'm going like 85 miles an hour and weaving through traffic and there's all kinds of other people doing it. And you used to have this moment of, of terror. This thing that we're talking about right now, which we talk about all the time, is um, we become numb to it. We become desensitized by it. Um, I, I, I thought about this today. So Rudy Giuliani, and nobody wants to talk about this, but Rudy Giuliani uh, is having a late life uh, breakdown. Um, he, he is, his emotional life is falling apart. I think this is a guy who likes to think of himself as like a hero and a mover and a shaker, which is one of the reasons why, um, you know, he would go to Ukraine and, and, and do all this stuff because he thinks that he's like crusading and, and trying to catch the bad guys in this case, Joseph Biden and Democrats or whatever. And he has gotten sway over a president who is incompetent and also delusional. And neither of them can tell truth from from conspiracy theory. Um, we, we're going to talk a little bit about the excerpts from uh, the new book, A Very Stable Genius, that show that not only is Donald Trump incompetent and not up to the presidency, but is um, dangerous and, 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 you know, is unraveling mentally. Um, I had one of those existential moments of terror. You know, and, the- and, yeah, the, the terror to me, the driving part is, is when you, you're not sure you're going to stop in time, 80 miles an hour when the car in front of you is slam on its brakes, right? That's the moment where the heart gets going and all those things. The problem is, is that too many people, you know, are just going to swerve around it and, and keep going, it sounds like. Well, right. And, you know, you're talking about the, uh, the, the moment of crisis, right? There's a moment that suddenly reveals itself and it's a moment of crisis and it makes you snap back into reality. And the problem here is that Donald Trump is our moment of crisis. I mean, this is a person who should not be president of the United States and uh, is really, really dangerous and unhinged. And all of a sudden, I, the, the moment of terror, right? We're going into impeachment next week. Uh, the, the quote unquote jurors have all been sworn in at this point. I, I believe it starts on Tuesday. And we're, we're going to watch an impeachment process that supposedly is just going to be already figured out with Republicans. I mean, they're, they're just coming out and flagrantly saying, uh, Reince Priebus was on Fox News last night on Hannity, and he said, you know what? So what if everything the Democrats are saying is, are true? That he's committed these crimes, and he's done these things. Just why do we care? That is, a, that is like an eight-car pileup right up ahead. Right. And, and, and the fact that the Republican Party would stand by in the middle of all this. I mean, the Lev Parnas interview was damning, just absolutely damning. And this impeachment that's coming up is uh, a, a terrifying exercise in destroying democratic institutions. Um, we need to like snap back awake and in a hurry and realize like what's coming for us. Well, I'm anxious to see now that uh, a couple of days in what the polling is going to look like, because I'd imagine it's going to have an effect. And let's dip our toes into the Lev Parnas thing a little bit because a treasure trove of documents have been released now. And so obviously they're going to attack him. He's just like uh, uh, Michael Cohen who, oh, he's arrested. He's just desperately trying to say anything to get out of it. Uh, The problem is is that it it does feel like when people are in that situation, knowing how devastating it would be to them if they're caught lying further – They generally are, you know, they generally tell the truth. So, um, you know, at the the very least, a guy like Lev Parnas has receipts. 
and he's brought a ton of them. And so we'll get into how those got released in a little bit, but certainly there's a letter that was released out of this trove from Rudy Giuliani to President Zelensky wanting to arrange a meeting and also basically making the connection between him representing Donald Trump as a personal lawyer. And I love the fact that it sounds so strange and a president would say, like, why would I meet with a personal lawyer of the president of the United States? And then Rudy has to then explain it right away. This is very common for a, a, a president to have a personal lawyer do all these different things. And he wants this meeting and ultimately gets canceled because the wind gets out in the, uh, in the media and he doesn't do it. But uh, what do you think this meeting was about? I, I, I mean, carrying out a criminal conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what all of this is about. I and, and what you're talking about, I mean, the... And, and by the way, the, there's, again, this is one of the reasons why we're even having this conversation is by the time we go to tape the next episode, like all of this stuff will have been supplanted by the next madness, right? There's something probably that's already happened since we started taping. And we, we have already jumped over the fact that it now seems, well, it's proven that Donald Trump and his, and his, his cronies were stalking the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Um, we're, we're not sure if that stalking was to dig up dirt or uh, there's been uh, recent suspicions that there might have been uh, physical threats against her and, and the possibility of, of really bad things happening to her. But then Parnas goes on TV and and I just want to say this and I just want to get it out of the way because it pissed me off sitting there with an American flag on his lapel and and just all of these people who hide behind the flag and behind the symbol of it while, you know, undermining everything that it's supposedly about. It just pisses me off on a level that I'm not comfortable with. And so he goes on TV and he says that he would go into these meetings and then he would get Rudy Giuliani on the phone to vouch for him and say, this man isn't just speaking for me. He's speaking for the president of the United States of America. Lev Parnas, who no American knew before all of this, he wasn't elected to anything. He wasn't appointed to anything. He was a crony of a shadow government carrying out a criminal conspiracy. That's it. And and, and the fact that we're having this conversation and, and, and we're not all outside screaming this at the sky at like the top of our voices is madness. Right. Well, and the key here is that you know, the, the so what argument uh, gets blown up because you're like, OK, fine. If it really is a so what, then send the State Department to do these meetings. Send the people who are actually who it's their job to do this. So if he wants to have a private meeting with Zelensky to talk about certain things and in the same time, we know that they're already going to start to smear Ivanovich, Ambassador Ivanovich. You have to start to wonder, OK, they want her out. And one of the reasons is because what she is well known as someone who's anti-corruption. And so what does an ambassador do when they're in a country? They keep their eye on the government that they're in, uh, of the country they're in. And they can cause a lot of problems for that country by reporting back to the U.S. And so when they see all these different th th versions of corruption or whatever, they, that, that's why they need to stop her from doing that. And they have to get her out. So what I'm convinced, because we saw Lev Parnas say she was not in danger. He didn't think she was in danger. And he was actually trying to uh, obscure the idea that maybe she was even being tailed. I, it looks like she was tailed, but I think it was what you had said uh, originally, which is they were probably trying to find some sort of dirt that they could get her on, make it look like you know, she she was doing something illegal when it was probably just a picture of her and they, whatever they do to that kind of stuff, and then just Shanghai her out of there. 
So that was probably what they were trying to do and then replace him with a guy like, oh, someone who might have, you know, donated a million dollars to the campaign who would just sort of rubber stamp everything until he gets caught in Gordon Sondland. So, you know, you start putting these pieces together. And even though it seems complicated when you start looking at all these different articles and all different evidence, once you can kind of process it and take a step back, it really isn't that uh, complicated. You know, get her out, get our a guy in, let's start doing these deals. Uh, and by the way, which would probably violate uh, all of the uh, sanctions against uh, Russia, because there's obviously Ukraine and Russia are, are very tightly around, especially with the gas. So you think that, that these are all like, you know, we pull back out and it's money. It's really a get out money and business and trying to scam as much as they can out of the government before they're uh, voted out of office. Yeah, I, th- I think that's in a nutshell exactly what was going on and i want i want to throw a couple things out there uh to to add to that because these are things that like i've had to i've had to come to terms with because so much of this it's not just craven and obvious right like this whole conspiracy was out there in the open rudy giuliani was talking to reporters about going to ukraine and trying to do this stuff like it's they're they're really really incompetent people like the whole lot of them they're very very bad at it and the fact that they have been successful everything from donald trump getting arrested to russian collusion to all of this stuff it's been open and out there for everyone to connect the dots the fact that they've been able to get away from it is an indictment of where we are as a people they must have done a study somewhere that, like, when you say, I have documents, you're not going to believe that blah, 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 that's going to prove. They never produce these documents. They never appear. Rudy has been talking about this all this, this whole time. Nothing ever appears because they don't exist. But the notion that you can say it that first time and it gets broadcast and the freaking media will just broadcast it out too uh, exponentially, that will change people's minds who are already predicated to believe that stuff as it is. So it's like they win anyway. Like, you, you, you know, it's almost like the brainwashing thing where they're just the, the hint and suggestion gets into the brain right away and they don't, you never actually have to prove it. Meanwhile, you know, again, we're, we're, these documents are so damning. And again, it also flips on the whole notion of they won't vote to have, you know, uh, documents. They won't vote to have um, witnesses yet to this trial for the impeachment. Um, there's only one answer to why they wouldn't want to do that. Well, never underestimate people who want to be important. I, I, I think that's a really important thing with all of this. I think Donald Trump is is a great example of it, right? This is a person who grew up with incredible wealth and power and privilege who always felt left out. And this is one of the reasons that has driven him throughout his entire career. And Rudy Giuliani is the exact same way. He wanted to be a mover and shaker. He wanted to be important. He wanted his names in the headlines, even though he couldn't get elected to anything. With these people, everyone from Parnas down to Hyde, who is this weird new Cohen Brothers-like character that is now in this story, who was apparently stalking this ambassador. And I want to throw this out there. What you just said is true. They probably were stalking her in order to get damning evidence against her in some way or another to leverage against her. But these people who want to be important and they want to play big roles, they end up doing things sometimes that go off script and are dangerous, right? Like, who knows where this thing could have ended up? Who knows where this thing was eventually going? But I want to throw this out there. And it goes off of what you were saying. And it was something that I've been struggling with, and it finally uh, manifested itself to me today, and that is this. I've had a hard time with this impeachment thing because I've been having a hard time wrapping my head around a couple of things, And, and that is this. Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, I'm not so sure if they can tell the difference between truth and conspiracy theory. 
I really do believe Donald Trump is delusional. And I think he I think he is projecting all of his problems with himself and his insecurities on Democrats and liberals and the media and all of that. And I think that he actually does believe that like Democrats are evil and they're involved in these hideous, hideous conspiracies. Now, my problem with that, when I made that connection, right, is whenever this Ukraine call uh, surfaced, I was having a hard time for a couple of minutes thinking about the fact that Donald Trump might have actually believed that Joe Biden was involved in corruption in Ukraine, right? And that he actually thought that he wanted to root it out and that it would actually not just root out corruption, but help him politically, right? He, it was a twofer. It was those two things. But something came to my mind today, which is this. Trump and Giuliani and all of these people who have been breaking international and domestic law, they think everybody's uh, breaking international and domestic law, right? I'm doing it. Everybody else is doing it. That's one of the reasons I'm doing it. The difference is, and this is what finally came clear to me today, is they did believe that Biden was corrupt and his kid was corrupt, but they didn't care. They didn't want to root out corruption. They just wanted to point out corruption in order to help themselves politically. None of these meetings were about actual investigations. None of these meetings were actually about rooting out corruption. It was about pretending to root out corruption because all of these people want to play games on two levels, on, on the level where things actually happen in public and on the other level, which is where all of this corruption takes place. And I truly believe that's what, that's what happened here. Well, before the, our listeners might get confused and think that there actually was corruption involved in this. There was know, not. What, the, the scheme, it sounds like, was make it up and give it to us. By the way, and what the argument's going to be is, is just like the Steele dossier was a Russian uh, intelligence op, they fed everything to Steele as a fake that would go back, which is like the dumbest argument as well, because look what happened to it. No one ever used it. You know, because we, they recognized certain stuff was probably Russian propaganda being fed to him, and he also acknowledged that. And there were other stuff that's been verified. So this is what this is their level there. They're, they're, they go to Furtash and they say, okay, great. Hey, you know, just, just make some stuff up, fashion some documents, whatever. We'll just, you know, muddy the waters like we did with, with Clinton, and that's what we need. And, and by the way, it's, it's exactly what they need because this election is so precarious for them, especially because it's, um, it's you know, Biden's – the numbers look like Biden would win – so th that's the other issue here is it's not even like, oh, uh, you know, th we got we to gotta point out the pro corruption to help us with our political campaign. It's we need to make up the corruption to help us with our political campaign. And that was so bungled as well because you're also dealing with, you know, Ukrainians over there who are not the brightest either, uh, the ones that they're dealing with. And so it, the whole thing just kind of falls apart. They never get what they want. And, you know, again, kudos to Ukraine for, you know, not quite capitulating, although – they were what about a day from actually playing ball and and it's important to point out that if it wasn't biden if at that point the 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 trump campaign and trump administration thought that somebody else was his major opponent they would have went and made up something else right that's the whole thing they they cannot win the the republican party and that goes back to ryan's previous coming out and saying this stuff and, and I've said this a few times, and it has to be reiterated. The Republican Party cannot win democratically. It is not in a place anymore where they can win. They can't win the vote. They can't win a, a popular vote. And so they have to continue disenfranchising people. They have to throw out misinformation. They have to welcome foreign entanglements and foreign interference. And they have to allow uh, a fascistic authoritarian behavior. That's just what's happening. And, and they have to find a way. Like Trump has no achievements. 
He hasn't done anything. There's nothing for him to go out and say, I did this and reelect me so we can keep doing it. Well, the I only can, thing he I, can, I can tell you what he, he would say. Oh, know. sure. He has the best economy ever, and, and he's really taken the, the fight to immigrants and all that. And the, and the, like, and the, and the military. Right, and which are starting to hate him, which we got to talk about in Very Stable Genius, which is incredible, yeah. by the way. For those who haven't read it, the excerpt about very, of Very Stable Genius, I believe it was in the Washington Post. People should read it. Um, but no, he has no achievements to actually hang his hat on. The only thing Trump can say is, they want me gone, I'm out there for you, you want me on the front line of this war. And that's all they can do, and he has to create... Um, criminals out of his opponents and that's the only thing he's able to do it's just the hillary clinton strategy over and over and over again and it doesn't matter it's it's if it's biden if it's warden if it's Buttigieg, if it's sanders he's going to make them a criminal in some way shape or form right oh and by the way sprinkle in a little war with iran perhaps to uh you know bolster his his chances as well uh which they screwed that up too because you know listen we already went over this about like who's to blame for the plane getting shot down but it's not a win for him. This whole inter- this interaction did not give him any boost. Even I don't even think among his base. Among his base, I think everyone just sort of, at the very least, scratched their head and was wondering what the heck's going on. And you know, again, this also talks about the timing of things. When do when does he do these things and why? You know, when did he, why did he do the Iran thing and why not? And it's also the same thing about the Lev Parnas thing. Why does it come out now? And what does that mean? Because remember, uh, what Lev Parnas was arrested in October, right? Yes. Uh, getting ready to leave the country. Getting ready to leave Epscon, Getting ready to you know. flee the country. And, yeah. and, you know, and with the one-way ticket, and they seized all, everything. So these documents that we are only now seeing in, let's see, November, December, January, three months later, were sitting in a room or on a hard drive somewhere in the Department of Justice. And they were kind of compelled to be released. So my thought on this is, is that what they, were, what they were hoping to do was keep this stuff buried long enough that the trial would have already happened knowing that McConnell was going to make it a, a sham of a three-day trial, which he might still try and do. But I, I think it's impossible now. It's all disgusting, by the way. Uh, um, what, what we keep seeing is a, a bunch of people, and this is the sorry state of American politics, is everyone is always deciding the best maneuver for themselves that comes next. Again, Lev Parnas, who had to release all of this stuff because he was arrested before he left the country and you know got away scot-free, he, he had to release these documents, release them, the narrative changed, and all of a sudden him and his lawyer start re- releasing like pictures of him and Trump, and they're like, we want to get on the record and tell the truth and put a flag la- you know, lapel pin on. And, and it's just this... It's like a selling and a rebranding, and we've seen that time again. I mean, John Bolton right now is is set up to make a ton of money on a book to talk about what he's seen with Trump, which, by the way, is probably treasonous, dangerous stuff that he's seen. And so he's going to turn it into a book instead of, I don't know, doing the right thing and telling the American people. And and it's obvious that John Bolton is going online and putting little seeds out there that are trying to get people excited about a book. It's about profit. It's about personal enrichment. And, and that is the sad, sad legacy here is that American politics has turned into a place where the worst people go in order to make money. They have no care whatsoever about society. They don't care about pushing America forward. All they're concerned with is the way to make money. And that's what we've seen here with this Ukraine scandal and with Donald Trump. He's the embodiment of that. 
Right. And you also mentioned that people want to all be part of this. They want to have their moment in the spotlight. They want to get they want to be able to climb off this. And so, you know, we can't say that phrase without mentioning Devin Nunes, the next step, because remember, uh, a few weeks ago, they found out that him and Parnas were talking to each other uh, via cell He just phone. remembered. He just remembered. Just remembered. Now. Oh, yeah, that Lev Parnas. I thought you meant the other one that I didn't remember at all. And, oh, we talked about some random things, blah, 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 whatever. And that's when you start realizing that the credibility is, I mean, it's always been destroyed with him. But, like, what was he even doing being involved in this? Okay? Because clearly what Parnas, and, and again, we have to choose to believe Parnas. Now, I will say this as far as the rehab of his image because those pictures and the, the whatever they, they were able to paint of him and um, his buddy, um, seem like, you know, something out of a Coen Brothers movie, the complete, you know, uh, uh, inept, whatever. He does at least come off as somewhat normal, right? Like, you know, somewhat normal. I, I, I clearly, like, you know, his, his priorities are a little bit out of whack as far as being an American and what is important. But, again, a guy who is, gets caught up and wants to make money and whatever and certainly had made a lot of money in a short period of time with these guys. But um, I, I would choose to believe he's probably filling in uh, Nunes with what he was doing as far as Yovanovitch and all these different things in Ukraine. But he also said that I believe that uh, Nunes already knew. He was already briefed on these things. So he's in the loop, and yet he's trying to pretend that he has no idea who this guy is. And by the way, so is Trump. So, you know, at some point, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything uh, to stop these people from lying. It doesn't hurt them at all, which is interesting to me. Parnas said something really fascinating that stuck with me um, in, in that interview. He, he mentioned Hyde. Right. And he mentioned that he had run across him a few times and he was basically like, and, and I want to point out, like, I don't know what the extent of the stalking of the ambassador was, but it really felt like Parnas was trying to cover his tail on that. Right. That that might be, uh, you um, know, it's damage control. I was like drunk. I was. Yeah. Right. I wasn't part of that. I was part of this. Those people are the criminals. I was just doing this. But he, he said that he kept running into hide at the Trump Hotel. Mm hmm. And I want to throw this out there, and it's something that has sort of always sort of been in my head, but it's not really been there, uh, like in totality. I, like, I've been to the Trump Hotel, right, in, in Washington, D.C. And, and I, I have to tell you that, like, the bar and the lobby at Trump Hotel is this weird, Moss Eisley, <laughs> bizarre alternate universe where all of these wannabe big shots... Like, Seb Gorka's hanging out there on, like, a Tuesday, right? All of these want to be political big shots, people who want to be part of politics and, and movers and shakers, and, and, and they want to be, like, powerful people. They hang out there, right? Because they, they, they gain something from Trump's aura. Because Trump is an outsider who doesn't know a lot of politicians, and so he brings in, like, a weird collection of misfit toys. Mm -hmm. And so you can be a nobody, and, and part of the alt-right was like that. They would hang out at Trump's hotel all the time and hopefully run into Donald Trump Jr. and get, like, an Instagram. It's a craven cult personality. And, and Parnas was part of that. Hyde was part of that. Giuliani's part of that. It's just a big collection of people who are desperate and insecure about themselves who want to be a part of everything, which is what Trump is anyway. And it's a corrupting influence. And Parnas bringing that up, I thought was really, really fascinating because it is this weird alternate universe where American politics is just being chopped up, destroyed, liquefied, and then branded as something else. And it's pure poison. There, there's no doubt about it. It is pure poison. Well, you know, that's also the notion of, I'm glad you brought up Donald Trump Jr. because 
in this whole, the big framework here was like, yeah, get Yovanovitch out of there so she's not overseeing corruption anymore so we can be corrupt as much as we want. Well, Donald Trump Jr. tweets that out saying, we, oh, can you believe how horrible this person is? We got to get her out. And that was like, I don't know, March. It was, it was way early in the process. And what that shows to me is just how deep-seated this plot was. It does cover... So if you're going to say, like, Mike Pence knew about this, and if you want to say that Mike Pompeo knew about that, that all seems to make sense, because what's Junior doing in being involved in these meetings then? And I know Junior's now complaining because because of their, their supposed, uh, you know, uh, ban on any foreign um, deals. He's got nothing to do, so he starts campaigning for his dad and being involved in that, because there's nothing else for him to do. Oh. So, so, you know, he's involved. He is, and if he's in those meetings, then there's no doubt in my mind all the other principles are. And by the way, Parnas started to throw those guys under the bus, too. I know Pence was mentioned. I know that uh, Pompeo was. He brought up Pence a lot. Like, Pence's name was all over this thing. And 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 Michael Michael Mike Pence's true talent in politics cuz the 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 guy he isn't particularly talented. He's not charismatic. He's not good at retail politics. He doesn't have a great understanding of minutia. He's not a policy guy. He's not a wonk. Uh, Mike Pence's talent is to be a chameleon and to be a person who can just be very very quiet and never really get noticed in what he's doing, right? And 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 things just happen to fall down around him, and then he's still standing. Again, the um, Very Stable Genius uh, excerpt talks really well. I thought it did a great job of explaining how he was like a wax figure in a museum as Trump was embarrassing himself and, and basically abusing our military leaders. And Mike Pence... Um, has managed here to walk through hurricane after hurricane and never get wet. And and it's a really incredible thing because we're sitting here and, and we've already, I mean, my God, Nick, we've now in a hurried fashion, like survey fashion, we've gone over roughly eight or nine major stories of the week. We haven't talked about the fact that the sitting vice president of the United States was either in on the Ukraine conspiracy or was used as a pawn in it. Like, what are the other? I mean, there, there's no other explanation. Right. Either he got dirty in it or he's so oblivious that he doesn't know what's going on. Both those things should terrify everybody, by the way. Right. And, and to fill that in, you know, they were getting the framework of a deal where Ukraine was going to announce an investigation into Biden and then Pence is going to go at, for the inauguration. And as soon as there was a little moment of doubt on the Ukrainian side about how this is all going to go down, within 24 hours, they cancel Mike Pence's trip. Now, Mike Pence, the wax figure he is, could, in theory, have just been like, because Trump would say, you're not going, and he could just say, okay. But you'd have to imagine he would say, why am I not going, right? Or, or maybe Trump would even tell him, you know, because Trump tells everybody everything. So that's where we start to get realize that, yeah, he, he is deeply involved because most likely— it certainly is reasonable to assume that he would understand why he didn't go and how he was being used in that capacity. And we already saw him struggle mightily to answer questions about this whole thing a few weeks ago, or maybe now, who knows how long it was ago, um, which indicates to me, you know, that his, uh, his, his underwear is, is damp. Well, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyway. No, it's the, it's the Friday podcast. That's how this goes. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, it, it, you, you said Trump, says everything. I, I just remembered three associated stories from all of this that haven't even gotten mentioned in any of it, right? Trump admitted in a live Fox News interview 
that the United States military has been paid as mercenaries and that he wants that to be how the United States military operates, which every um, every Democratic candidate across the, the country should be playing that quote to people whose, whose children are being put in harm's way because he's getting money from different countries, right? He tells everyone that. He also says in a meeting that has just been reported that um, he doesn't know why American companies can't bribe foreign governments in order to get favorable contracts or contracts. That's uh, where where I'm standing. That's a pretty problematic idea. I, I mean, that's a that's a pretty terrifying idea. I mean, it's it's advocating crime openly, right? I mean, that, that that's what that is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, again, this is the the cynicism that we see from the Republicans who want to defend him when they say all uh, politicians lie, all politicians are corrupt. So Trump is just another one of these same types. Now, the problem is, is A, we've never seen it in the presidential office. Usually some sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the office, the pressure of the office, and the fact that there are two other branches of government that are supposed to keep him in check like that, you don't see it. And normally, if it's a, if it's a congressman or a senator, yeah, it generally gets found out, and then they get roasted and thrown out of office. So this is the big difference here. Well, right, right, right. And I just remember what the third thing was because, again, everything gets covered and buried in all of this. Sure, there, there's tons of corruption in politics, and there always has been. We're talking about corruption personified. Um, one of the biggest stories that got no traction whatsoever this week is that there are rumors out there and allegations that Donald Trump was telling members of the Mar-a-Lago Country Club about the Iranian strike so they could profit off of it via the stock market. Yes. Elizabeth Warren was calling for an investigation in that. Now, listen, uh, the, the very idea that that could even happen and all of the other things, which are, by the way, it all goes back to money, right? It's all money. Like none of this is about politics. Politics is a front. This is a post-political administration that has no interest in pushing society forward or making lives better for people. It's all about power and consolidation, which, by the way, it's, it's a little bit of a coincidence that all of this stuff is happening. We're having a constitutional crisis that's soaking up all the oxygen in the room as Vladimir Putin liquidated the government of Russia and is apparently engineering a way to become leader for life. But, you know, I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Um, and, and, and then we have a president who his entire thought is how to enrich himself. It never, ever comes into the equation how to help America. And all of this stuff gets lost in it because of, of, of the, the storm of this stuff. Right. And no matter what you want to say about, like, you know, Democrat versus Republican, because we're already kind of beyond that, uh, you know, generally, in a very general sense, many of the policies that you see brought up and defended by Democrats tend to have a earnest desire to help their constituents. You know, now it might be a drain on the uh, on the on the economy, it might be a drain on the budget, but it generally is some notion of we need to help people more. And so if you want to argue like what about is, I mean, it's really hard to do that because you know, it does seem clear that there is one side that is a little bit more focused on actually trying to do what they're supposed to do. And uh, and that's but it doesn't matter. It doesn't ring true. The you know, when you listen to the Republicans talk like on Fox News, it is simply these vicious Democrats who are willing to do anything they can possibly do to destroy, you know, what we have, this nice thing we have going. And that is actually probably a little bit true. The vicious part is not true, but certainly what they have going, which is this oligarchy in the making, 
is what the you know at least someone's hopefully trying to stop. Personally, I I think continuing to call these people Republicans is a misnomer, because the Republican Party, um, and again, like I I I don't consider myself a Democrat. Um, I, I, I understand that both sides of a political argument can have um, opinions that differ about how to move forward. And, and when you have two honest, good faith sides, you can find compromise. The problem is that one of the political parties has been taken over uh, over the past few decades um, by a really, really bad case of fascism. That's all this is. It's a group of people who don't actually have principles. Um, we were talking before the podcast um, a little bit going over our notes, and you had said something along the lines of it's almost socialism for these people who hate socialism. Well, they're all they're, they're not anti-socialism. They're not anti-helping people. They're not anti-big government. They're not, they're not anti-programs, right? They're not anti-debt. They're anti-debt when the other side is going to create a debt. They're anti-big government when the other party is in power. They're not interested in actual politics. That's why I keep saying post-politics. These people aren't interested in a way to move forward. They're not interested in helping people. They're interested in consolidating power. And that's why they're dangerous. When we keep calling them Republicans and we keep treating them like this is the party of Lincoln or this is the party of Teddy Roosevelt or whatever people want to say. This It's bullshit. It's not the same thing. This party has transformed into something different. There are Republicans who left the party when they realized what Donald Trump was, right? There are people, and, and, and they're not necessarily right on the issues either, but they had good faith policy ideas and, and philosophy. They were wrong on a lot of them, but they weren't this. This is a masquerade. This is this is a false front. It is it is an oligarchical fascist movement that is only interested in power for the sake of enrichment. That's it. And 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 that's what it comes down to. Right. And it feels like what we mentioned in the last pod is that there's a great majority of the people who do support them who are willing to kind of ignore all of that to get the judges, to get the things that don't really, really end up. I mean, okay, well, judges could mean something, you know, for a long time. But judges get the taxes lower, get the look at the economy, how well that's going and, you know, military spending. You know, what I mean, that, that those are their things. Oh, and maybe like, you know, um, you know, pro-life. You know, which is judges. So you're talking about like they have these handful of things, and they, again, they couldn't care less about anything else. They're the ones driving the car and have no sense of what's happening around them. Meanwhile, it's an apocalypse of zombies, you know, running by them and banging on the windows, and they got the windows up, the radio blaring, and uh, their foot in the, on the pedal, and that they don't see anything. Yeah, and and it's all built in their their idea of you know, identity. It's who they think they are. Like, it's really hard for a group of people who have supported a political party most of their lives. I mean, you know, you got to think there are Republicans who, um, you know, they grew up in households that had like, you know, Republican banners and stuff like that and pins and they would go to Republican mixers and they would, you know, they, they knew their lo local Republican congressperson and, and they worked for them. And, you know, it was the, the, they identify as Republicans. It's really hard to suddenly realize that the party you were involved with for the majority of your life and you put in time and energy and all of that, it's hard to, to come to terms with the fact that it's turned into a fascistic movement. Mm -hmm. Like that's a hard thing to hear and a hard thing to look at. And so, so many people are in denial about it that, and again, the, the, a lot of them are the people I've talked to, right? They're the people who tell me that they don't like Trump but they believe in it, and it's because they still see the world in Democrat and Republican, red and blue, left and right. But that's not what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with 
the real world over here that is looking at Trump and the people around him and his treasons and his crimes. And they're like, my God, this is horrifying. And then you have the Trump people who are like, no, we're, we're, we're in the right and everybody else is evil. That's not politics. That is, that is an actual civil war in ID and philosophy. Right. And that, that's, that's where we are. Or, or there, I mean, there might be a third group who's just simply saying, who cares uh, oh, yeah. about they're that? Wad- versus like, well, are you right. the right? He's like, who cares? Now, speaking of never Trumpers, you know, we, we had heard that story about Rex Tillerson calling uh, Trump a fucking moron. And I don't know if we'd ever heard why or how, what the context of that was. Well, guess what? We now know because of what you mentioned a little bit uh, earlier uh, in this book that's going to come out on Wednesday, Tuesday, uh, which I already pre-ordered. Um, and it's going to detail the, the, uh, this meeting he had with all the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff about, and, and it was a meeting designed to help educate him because he was so clearly uh, ignorant about anything outside of the country. And he's ignorant about anything inside the country, too. So, but out of all that, he ends up haranguing them and calling them losers, you know, and, and among other things. And that was what uh, Tillerson, who's, you know, his brother and his father both served in the military and got him so riled up. And so, you know, when he talks about being in, in favor of the military, then you hear things like that come out. And then you hear him so cavalierly sending out troops wherever he wants them to go now. Uh, it, it, th- these things don't all add up. Uh, the only thing that adds up is that he's, he, there, there's, we, you know, we haven't even talked about this at all. And we've gotten almost through the whole podcast is that. This all just seems like subservience to Putin, right? Yeah, and, and I think that was one of the first things. It, it, it was, you know, in the rundown of the book, which is he was more interested in meeting with Vladimir Putin than anything else, right? right? And and I and I think there's, I think there's a possibility in all of this. So I, I just want to throw this out there because this is a developing thought that is is part of it, right? So. Um, I, I was on the Russian collusion story uh, starting in the summer of 2016 when people were reaching out to me from the Trump campaign saying something weird's going on here, right? And and I, and it was very odd that there was obviously like work between uh, and messaging and, and getting on the same page. If, if people want to go and look at the statements the Trump campaign made after Paul Manafort came on, that is a, that is a really, really damning indictment of them. There's a real possibility that even if Trump wasn't involved in like an actual uh, organized conspiracy with Russia, and there are certainly times that the campaign was. I mean, Manafort handed over polling data. There was conversations back and forth, messaging, um, signaling, all the, right, meetings. All of those things happened. But even if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, you have a president in charge of this country who has no understanding of history. I mean, part of the things that came out was like, he didn't understand Pearl Harbor, obviously. He doesn't understand the war. He doesn't have a knowledge of anything because he's so ignorant and proud of his ignorance because he believes that he is incredibly intelligent, right? He knows everything. He doesn't need to educate himself. He's probably read like two books in his life. Or or he did know... But in his state of cognitive decline, he doesn't know anymore. It's gone. And so this is a person who doesn't understand anything. He goes in with a bunch of military commanders and then dresses them down, calls them, you know, babies, I believe, at one point, and says he doesn't want to go to war with them. Um, And all of these people are just sitting around a table, and they're like, this guy is so stupid and belligerent and ridiculous, and they know how bad it is. And again, Rex Tillerson is like the one person who, like, steps up and says something and then eventually gets fired for it, more or less. And, And you have... You, you you get this idea that like the government is being run by a really dangerous person whose natural instinct is corruption 
and authoritarianism, right? This is a guy who's into Putin because Putin's who he wants to be. I mean, that that's just how it is. And Putin's helping him, and so he wants to help Putin. He has no interest in helping this country. This person has never sacrificed anything. He has no idea of duty in his entire life, and it's all been about personal enrichment and, and, and empowerment. And this is a guy, I mean, he's the worst possible president we could have ever had. I mean, that that or whoever learns from him and then, you know, like acts out on their actual principles and, and, and strategies. But yeah, this is really bad. Well, you know, what I responded to when I first heard about him wanting to meet with Putin so badly before the inauguration even was that he was like, holy shit, we, they actually pulled it off. Yeah. So I, cause I, cause you know, listen, I don't think it's that unreasonable to picture a scenario where they were meeting with the Russians. Like we, and you know, the evidence is already there and the Russians were probably saying, yeah, we're going to take care of this. We know how to do this. Cambridge Analytica, all these different things. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. Whatever. We're down 10 points in the week to go. We're never going to win this. So I, I kind of, my reaction to that was like, oh my God, they won. And he's like, I, get me in front of Putin. And now what? Because some of the stuff is going to come out. We got to figure out what their strategy is here. We got to meet. So all of those things seem to, you know, bolster this notion, and especially when you have these other meetings that are now known between them, and he's, he's uh, confiscating, confiscating the notes, and he's, or not having any note takers at all, you know, or these things that are reported, to, reported by, by the Russian media and not ours about meetings he's having in the Oval Office uh, with Russians. It's it, it just, there's not a lot of other explanations besides that. And if you're going to go out on Hannity or on Fox News and scream like this Russian hoax thing, well, you know, you just lose a lot of credibility. There's just, you know, I mean, you have to at least acknowledge that this seems a little bit strange at the very least. Well, I I was really frustrated. And and again, going back to 2016, when I was reporting what I was hearing from people, like all of a sudden it was, I, I, I felt like a lot of pressure from media outlets to never, ever talk about it. And that, you know, this is a story that we're not interested in detailing. And it's just based on a lot of conjecture and conspiracy theory. And we don't want to put ourselves on the line there. And then immediately, like he gets elected and all this stuff starts coming out. And they're like, oh, this is a story that we need to talk about, which I still have misgivings about. I thought I thought it was, um, to be frank, a load of shit that they let this happen. I, I, I think the media in this country and the political establishment didn't want to believe it was true. And so they gave him a lot of cover to do a lot of things. Well, that's where we are now, too. Um, this whole situation, what we're talking about, it's it's not, you know, it's not an isolated incident. Like if one thing happened and we weren't being overwhelmed by everything, we might be sufficiently terrified by what's happening. And, and, and like this is madness. But I have to tell you, People are still trying to lend him credibility when there is sufficient and overwhelming proof that he should not have credibility, he should not be trusted, and he's a danger to the country. I mean, I, and again, we, we just taped it in the last podcast. We, we were nearly in the middle of a giant war just a few days ago. And now all of a sudden, like, you, you barely hear the word Iran. Why, and and why don't you think he made a big deal of uh, potentially? Uh, it sounds like some people did get injured. Some Americans got injured on that attack. Why doesn't he make a big deal about that? By the way, I'm glad you brought that up because we almost didn't talk about that. There were Americans injured in 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 an escalation that Trump caused, and then other people were killed. And and that's one of the reasons is this isn't a person. I mean, I think he knows that if you talk about it too long, it's a damning story of him. 
and 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 if you know it's just like wow i got out of that situation we're not going to have war i'm i'm done okay fine good move on to the next one i mean it's one of the I, and also i don't think he's strategic i don't think he ever ever thinks about you know what would actually be good and what wouldn't he just jumps from one thing to the other and i mean it, he tweeted uh, i want to say it was yesterday maybe it was this morning i can't keep track of days with this guy he he tweeted out i just got impeached and it's like no man you didn't like you've been impeached for a little while. It, delivering of documents doesn't mean you just got impeached. And and I know that that's it's funny and we all laugh about it, but we have to stop laughing. Oh. We we as a country we have to start treating this like the crisis it is. Oh, he is definitely treating it like a joke and a hoax and all these different things. We saw him standing in front of the uh, the the is it LSU I guess who won the championship. Um, is it LSU? Is that right? LSU okay. one, yeah. So, uh, and he's like, he's got a full stand-up mode. It was ridiculous. I mean, he's just not a president. Let him be a stand-up. And he'd be a really bad one. But let him do that. But the one thing that was telling was there was a line he had in there that said something to the fact that some of those players are going to go to the, the Oval Office to hang out and take pictures or whatever. And then he kind of quickly cha- corrected himself and said, well, and everybody's going to come. So I'm sensing that... There's a lot of players on that team who are going to refuse to go and be part of anything besides showing, you know, solidarity as a team in front of that podium. And then anything else they're not going to do, which I think is good. I'm waiting for that reporting to come out, too. I suspect that's going to be part of it. So, again, it's not this is not widespread support of him. Right. It doesn't represent a huge swath of the country, which, you know, you want to be able to say, okay, good. We're not going in the wrong direction. But it's I guess it really comes down to where those people are in the country. I'm glad you said that too, because it's not a huge swath. I mean, he's underwater in so many states now. Um, I mean, America is overwhelming, not just in favor of impeachment, but uh, removal from office. I mean, those numbers are bad. And and everybody, I, I think, who isn't in, Trump, in Trump's tank is just totally, totally understanding that he's a problem and needs to go. Well, um, I, I, I'm really upset that the media continues to treat this like it's a country divided. It's not. It's not 50-50 like they like to treat it, which, by the way, they're doing in part because we're coming up on an election. And so they want to treat it like a horse race. And, and for those who aren't aware and, and maybe don't follow this stuff as closely, I can tell you every election is treated like a horse race. You go up, you go down, you go up, you go down. It's the same story every time because it maximizes anxiety and it keeps people addicted to news feeds. This is not a 50-50 split. And the continued treatment of that is a really dangerous thing because people need to understand this is not a popular president. This is not a popular movement. The only reason he's president is because of the Electoral College. And and, and I, I we just got to keep that in mind. And, and I just want to say um, thank you to everybody for tuning in. We had to do this, right? We had yeah. to do this. Yes. Too much to say. Too much to go over. There, there, there's too much, and we would have got to Monday. And again, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure in the time that we've been chatting here, that something major and catastrophic is is happened. Isn't that weird? Live in a time where it's just like you do something for a minute, and you're just like, what did I miss? There had to have been everything. I wonder. If this is one of the reasons why I'm having a lot of trouble working these days. I cannot just sort of get the motivation to really get a lot of good work done uh, efficiently, and I think it's eating at me. I think it's eating at a lot of people. 
Oh man, people are suffering with it. And I, I will say, and, and just to, you know, pat ourselves on the back for a hot minute, I think that's uh, the antidote to a lot of that is just getting deeply involved in projects and learning and thinking. And when you do, it's the antidote to people like Trump who, who subsist on, you know, keeping people at the surface and addicted to this stuff and just continually churning. But we're really, really glad you continue to tune in. We've been getting uh, really amazing feedback, um, feeling really good about that. And we're really, really grateful, um, especially as times are really, really dire and hard. Um, so keep that up. Please keep sharing us on social media. Please like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. All of it really, really does help. Um, we're going to be back next week. We're going to talk more uh, leading up to the primaries and the caucuses. Um, hopefully the country doesn't explode in the next couple days. If it does, we'll be here. We'll do another one, I guess. And uh, thank you again for listening. Until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.